Welcome to the audio channel of Dr. Sadaf. Preach Christ, teach the Bible, make disciples. But then there's a five-year-old, happy, jolly, chubby version of me who has glasses and braces and has a shirt that's too tight, the buttons are holding on. And he said, give me some pie. Ask our pastors, that version of Elijah won. And as I'm sitting there having my second slice, warming it up, putting some ice cream on top, get some chocolate syrup, wasn't a game. I wanted to change, but found that change was very difficult. That's a very common situation. It's, you know, something very, very relatable. There's a circumstance in all of our lives where we know what to do and want to make a switch, but find switching very challenging. And God is capable of making big switches in our life. We are the instruments of that change. But the question is, how do we switch? How do we make a big change when change, in fact, is very hard? And there are two books I read recently which give us a blueprint, give us step-by-step instruction. One is called The Happy Hypothesis by Jonathan Haidt. The other is called Switch by the Heap Club. I'm going to tie this into 2 Kings chapter 6 in a second. In those books, they develop the idea that all successful change has common traits. And all successful traits speak to three different things at once. They speak to a rider, an elephant, and a pack. So all successful change speak to a rider, an elephant, and a pack. The rider was the intellectual side of it, the analytical, cerebral part. Think of a an aged person playing chess. This is their 40th, 50th, 60th year. They can see moves, dozens of moves in advance. The rider, the analytical side, is able to plan ahead, is very, very strategic, and is capable of making short-term sacrifices for the long-term goal. The elephant is the emotional side of us the chubby, younger version of me who wants pie. That's driven by short-term results and doesn't care about what the long-term consequences are. And the path is the route the rider who rides the elephant takes to get to a transformation. The key to any switch is that all change has to speak to all three components. It has to motivate the rider, It has to drive the elephant and has to shape a path. If any one of the three disagrees, you're not going to switch. If a rider wants the elephant to move in a certain way, but the elephant is shook or afraid, you're not making any progress. Now, this is church on a Sunday morning. Why am I standing up here talking about two secular books? Good question. Because I'm going to show you that all good ideas 
don't come from secular authors. The best ideas are already written in the Bible. Secular authors just know how to market it and to promote it creatively. And what I'm going to show you is that in 2 Kings chapter 6, we have the prophet Elijah, Elisha. And he made a big switch. He made a big change. And he spoke to the writer, he motivated the elephant, and he shaped a path. And the problem he encountered were the Arameans, and how you turn an old problem into new possibilities. So if you ever attempted to make a switch and found that switching difficult and are ready to learn how the prophet Elisha can show you how, say amen. So the first strategy, give the rioter specific directions. So how to switch when change is difficult, strategy number one, give the rioter specific directions. Give the intellectual side of us specific directions. It means you have to have purpose. 2 Kings 6, verses 8 to 10. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God, the man of God is Elisha, sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. So to understand these passages, you need some background. The Israelites now are in the promised land. But in the promised land, they have a lot of problems. They have a lot of nations and people living around them that don't let them live in peace. And Elisha is a prophet. He is the one who speaks for God and gives the people God's revelation to them. Now, the Arameans weren't a new problem. They were actually a very old problem. If you go back to 2 Kings chapter 5, they were the ones that captured the servant girl of Naaman's wife. If you go back to 1 Kings chapter 19, the Arameans were mentioned there. If you go back to 2 Samuel, the Arameans caused King David problems. What's the point? The Arameans are an ongoing, old, chronic problem. So the Arameans to you today don't represent something that just reared its head two weeks ago. This is a decades-long, lifetime-long, chronic problem that you've been dealing with for so long, it's almost become normal for it to exist. And the word Arameans gives us a clue to this interpretation. Because the word Aram, Arameans are people from Aram. 
Aram means a high, or, uh, a high or an elevated place. People who live in the hills. Arameans thus mean people who live in a high place. But Arameans can also mean exalted, which means the problem has been around for so long, it's an esteemed problem. In other words, that's how he's been for 25 years. He won't change. That's how the organization has worked for the past four decades. There's no hope in changing. So Elisha is going to make a switch. He's going to give the writer, the king of Israel, specific and clear direction to solve the Aramean problem. And he tells him, beware that you do not pass this place where the Arameans are coming down there. So Elisha tells the king, in this specific place, in this specific time, make sure you guard yourself. And his directions had to be very clear and specific. Because when you give the rider specific directions and attempt to make a switch, switching always produces resistance, and resistance requires a plan. Say that again. Switching always produces resistance, and that resistance requires a plan. That plan always is going to script the moves that are critical. The king of Israel could have woke up that morning. He could have gone to Dunkin' Donuts. He could have taken his bike to work. He could have checked his text messages, then went to the place Elisha told him. The only thing that was critical was that he went to the place Elisha sent him. The king of Israel could have gotten up, went to Starbucks. He could have jogged to work, left his cell phone at home, and then went to the place Elisha told him about. What was critical in this plan, knowing the Arameans were going to produce resistance and meet the Israelites in this particular place, was that the king went to this specific location. That was the critical move. In a similar way, New Year's is coming up. Everyone is going to have a uh, New Year's resolution. This is how this applies to you. Having a New Year's goal of eating healthier is not clear and specific. Because what does that mean? Does that mean you're going to go from 10 sodas a day to 9? Does that mean you're going to go from one salad a day to one and a half? It's very, very vague. There's much wiggle room. But if you give the rider clear and specific direction, you can make a goal like lose five pounds by February 1st. It's clear, specific, and there's no wiggle room. But in that goal, you must also script the critical moves because any plan is going to make resistance. And those critical moves are the essential things you have to do to reach your goal. Which means, in your case, or anybody's case, two critical moves may be your amount of carb intake has to be less than a certain number and no eating three hours before you go to bed. And if you do nothing else, as long as you execute those critical moves, you will arrive at your destination using clear and specific direction. And Elisha gives that to the king. He 
says, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. Now keep in mind, the king took Elisha's direction. But the king could have ignored the prophet's advice. That's an interesting point because all throughout 2 Kings chapter 6, the only person who is named is Elisha, the prophet of God. The king of Israel and the king of Aram are never, never given their proper name. Which tells us what? When you relate this story to your life, the characters are going to change. The situations are going to change. But what remains constant is the word of God and the vessels he uses to speak to you. I'll give you a perfect example. The other day I was in the office and a teenage boy comes in and says, Father, let's just say that the boy had a man's problem. I made the diagnosis and I told him, you have this. And this boy's first inkling was to put it into Google on his phone. Now, getting his specific directions from that particular outlet would have given him a goal that's very, very specific but it may not let him, have led him in the direction that he would have liked. And he used his phone knowing there was a living, breathing physician right in front of him who's seen this before, who has his best interests in mind and wants him to get better. Now imagine how this relates to your life when God reveals his will God lets his desires for your writer be known to you, and he wrote a book called the Bible, which gives hundreds and hundreds of pages of specific directions to the writer. But we often choose not to take that advice and ask a friend, or ask Google, or ask something else. So just remember, in the directions you are receiving, they're from a trusted source. Jesus would agree with those directions. My final point on the rider is this. Oftentimes, we may look at people and say they're unmotivated. They have no drive. They have no direction. But in reality, all that means is that their rider just needs direction, which means they're mounted on an elephant. They just don't know where to go. The second you implant in them purpose, the second you give them a specific direction to go and script a critical move, you turn a quote-unquote slacker into a fierce force for God. Second point, inspire the elephant. So how to make a switch when change is difficult, strategy number two. Inspire the elephant. Inspire, chubby younger version of Elijah. Inspire the emotional fighter. In other words, you have to have vision. So from verse 11 to 14, the king of Aram gets upset because he tries to execute a sneak attack on Israel. 
Elisha already warned the Israelites. So he says there must be a spy somewhere. His men tell him, King, that's not actually the case. Elisha is so close to God, the words that you utter in your sleep, he can hear. The king then says, we shouldn't kill this guy. We want him on our team. Let's go get him. So he sends an army to Dothan, which is Elisha's hometown. And one night he camps out. Next morning, Elisha's servant looks out and surveys the land. Verse 15. Now when the attendant of the man of God has, had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he, Elisha, answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When it came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, strike the Aramean army with blindness, I pray. So God struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. So Elisha's servant asks the prophet, what shall we do? This is a piggyback from our last point, because Elisha wasn't a soldier or a general. He was a farmer by trade. But the servant was wise enough, he went to the right source to ask a God-focused question. What shall we do? And that's the question that implies you want to do something, but you lack the proper motivation, which is understandable. Because here you have the servant who has this innocent, emotional, childlike elephant inside of him who looks out and sees an Aramean army surrounding him in all directions. And he's afraid. The elephant can't take a step because it feels a trepidation in the air. And the thing with the elephant is that it's a big animal but it doesn't take much for the elephant to get scared. Because common knowledge tells us what? What are elephants scared of? Mice. But in actuality, ele elephants are not afraid of mice. They're afraid of something even smaller, ants. Why? The ants in reality can't actually harm the elephant, but thousands upon thousands of them curl up the very sensitive legs of the elephant and irritate the animal. So the elephant would rather avoid that irritation and not bother with the ant. So the threat of the ant is actually greater than the reality of the ant. How does that apply? Elisha inspires the elephant. He inspires the elephant en route to transformational change to stir his servant into action. And there are three strategies to inspire the elephant that Elisha shows us. The 
first strategy to inspire the elephant is to remember the promise. He tells his servant, do not fear. In other words, he gives the elephant a friend, someone's hand to hold in time of adversity. And when you remember the promise and look back at God's word, this is one of the only times in our walk when we look back in order to move forward. He tells his servant, do not fear. Why should you not fear? Because you remember what God has done for you. For as it says in Psalm 23, 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. God is standing right beside us as our elephant can triumphantly move forward. The verse in Psalm doesn't say, even though I walk around, even though I dig a tunnel under, even though I take a flight over the valley. It says straight through, and you can have an inspired elephant because God will accompany you on that path. The second strategy to inspire the elephant is to compare your problem to God. Elisha tells his servant, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha asks God to open his servant's eyes so he can see the supernatural divine army, divine army that circles them on the mountain. And when you compare your problem to God, when you take your issue here on earth and compare it to the God who uses the earth as his footstool, however big your problem may seem, is dwarfed in comparison compared to the Almighty. And a classic Bible character has already done this. When David ran up to Goliath, his elephant clearly was not scared. What did David say? David did not say, how dare this uncircumcised Philistine taunt me. He didn't say that. He didn't say, how dare this uncircumcised Philistine taunt the armies of Israel. What he did say was, How dare this uncircumcised Philistine haunt the armies of the living God? David compared Goliath to to God Almighty and found Goliath to be quite unimpressive. And as a result, he inspired his elephant by what? Shrinking the change by comparing his problem to God. The third way to inspire the elephant is to build up God's people. Elisha says, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Elisha built up God's people by giving the elephants, other elephants, that they could all march together with, to rally the herd together. Now notice here, that God sent chariots of fire to Elisha and his servant on the mountain. He didn't send chubby cherubims with harps or angels playing sweet, soft music. He sent instruments of war. So in your time of strife, God is going to bring his A-game 
It's more than capable of conquering whatever it is that's in front of you. But when we're inspiring the elephant and building up God's people, and we're initiating transformational change, building up God's people means acting in very godly ways. Let's illustrate an example. Eli Shuh was the spiritual son of Eli Juh. Eli Juh was a hothead. He loved using fire to just destroy people. He called down fire once on Mount Carmel, then just killed a whole bunch of guys. Just he didn't like them. They were idolaters. He found them unworthy. In another instance, there were 50 guys who came to get him. He said, God, fire, boom, done. All the guys died. Instantaneous. Elisha, however, is atop a mountain. He's surrounded by a human army, but he sees a divine army circling him. We already know from these verses, he can pray and God will respond immediately. What did he do? He did not pray, God, strike the Aramean army down. Instead, he prayed that God blind them so he could lead them to a new place. Because when you are the agent in charge of instituting transformational change, and you begin carving out a new path, what worked in the past, what tradition says you should do, what someone else may have done, doesn't apply to you. It's the same God, two prophets of God, but what worked in Elijah's time doesn't apply in Elisha's time. So if you give the rider a specific direction, and you inspire the elephant, and you're ready to lead them down a new path, how do you do that? How do we lead a rider and an elephant to transformation? That's our third strategy. How do we make a switch when change is difficult? Strategy number three, clear a path. Show others the way. Verses 19 to 23. Then Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, there's the path, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he brought them, the Aramean army who was now blind, to Samaria. And they had come to Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel, when he saw them, said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? Twice. My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? Elisha answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the marauding bands of Arameans did not come again into the land of 
There's our switch. We begin with the problem, the Arameans. We end with a solution to the problem. The Arameans are no longer a problem. No longer a problem. Now, in looking at these verses, we have to be keen to understand that Elisha brought the Aramean army to their sworn enemy. He brought him directly, he brought them directly to the king of Israel. So he brought them to the man they desired, but he did not bring them to the conclusion they expected. Literally speaking, the man who had sight and vision, Elisha, had to lead those who were blind, the Aramean army, to a very unique and special place. And when you are clearing a path and showing others the way, this means that new paths generate new habits. New paths generate new habits. And the first new habit that clearing a new path generates is grace. Elisha brought the Aramean army to the king of Israel. What the Aramean army expected was to be killed because of what they've done, because of all the problems they've caused in the past. But the Aramean king twice asked Elisha, shall I kill them? Which in Hebrew is a fancy way of saying, I really do want to kill them, but if I ask you enough times, you'll tell me what I want to hear. But what did Elisha say? You shall not kill them. Instead of giving them what they expected, he cultivated a new habit of grace. In the same way, when we come before God the Father, the King, there was someone called Jesus telling him, you shall not kill them because of what I already did. And although we come before the Father and expect to receive judgment and condemnation, the new habit of grace saves us from all of that. The second habit we cultivate in a new path is service. The king was the king. He did not have to ask Elisha permission to do anything. But he did recognize the man of God's authority. And the lesson we learn here is that when you're shaping a new habit of service, power always submits itself to witness. If the king killed these men, there wouldn't have been a switch. There would have been a continuing, ongoing problem, doing things the way they've always been done. But knowing he was shaping a new path, he relinquished his power, knowing witnessing to others and showing them grace would have a much more powerful, transformative effect. And the last habit on a new path is evangelism. Just imagine what the Aramean men went back to Aram and told their friends. They said, we went before the king of Israel. He could have killed us. He could have taken us out and been done with us. But instead, what he did is he showed us mercy and he let us go. I don't know who this God of Israel is. I don't know what they're learning over there in Israel but they're doing something right. I have my life. In the same way Christ sets you free to live, you begin evangelizing that power and that love and that passion to other people. 
And when you successfully initiate transformative change and lead others down this new path, all of these habits go viral. And you now, as the leader, have cultivated disciples who can lead others down the same path. So in conclusion, everything always leads back to Jesus. And he showed us how to transform according to his life. Because nothing in Jesus' life was by accident. God the Father laid out clear, specific directions for when Jesus came, what he would do, and all the gifts he would give. Many even prophesied hundreds of years in advance what would happen in Jesus' life because God gave specific, clear direction. And he scripted the critical move saying, I'm sending you on a rescue mission to reconcile humanity back to me. God inspired the elephant by sending Jesus to the cross. Because when you have a loving God who knowingly doesn't have to die for you, but relinquished himself, submitted power to witness and inspires the elephant inside of all of us, stirring our heart conditions when we have a God that loves us. And in clearing a path, Jesus rises. He resurrected and showed us all the way that the path that he is leading us on leads to victory and leads to new life with fresh new power. The key thing after hearing all of this is that in the middle, when you are the leader of transformative change, in the middle, it always looks like failure. If you were looking up at Elisha on top of the mountain saying, who is this weird guy looking at things in the sky, you would say, he's nothing, he's a failure. If you looked at Moses when he had fled Egypt, you would say, you used to be a number two in Egypt. Now you're tending animals. Look at you. You're a failure. You're nothing. When they looked at Jesus on the cross, they would say, truly you are not the Son of God. You're a nobody. You're just a man. You didn't come here to save anyone. They would have mocked him. They would have ridiculed him. But while on the cross, they may have laughed at him. But when he rose again three days later, he showed all of us that what may look like failure in the middle always ends in victory when you follow Jesus. So in answer to the question, can you make a switch? Can I make a switch? Can we all make a switch? The answer is, yes, you can, and Jesus is the one who will show you the way. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Dr. Sadafo. For more valuable information and resources, please visit chesadafo.com.